Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 66. Hey listeners, if you enjoy the MEP, please let others know about us. Tell your coworkers, friends, family, loved ones, and share it on social media at Macrofab or follow us on Facebook. At some point during the show, we're going to announce a secret code word. If you email us the code word and your address, we will send you cool Macrofab swag. The email address is podcast at macrofab.com. Yeah, we've been, um, we've had actually a lot of people write in and we've been shipping out koozies left and right now. It's been great to uh, hear from you guys. We appreciate you guys doing yeah, that. Yeah, thank and you so much, guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you want to, if you want to just, you know, hit, hit us up and tell us some cool stuff or tell us what you think about the podcast, please let us know. Yep. Podcast at macrofab.com. Um, so last week we had a, our first big meetup our electronics meetup uh, sponsored by Mauser here in Houston. We had over 90 people show up last Wednesday. And that, that, that's uh, April 26, 2017, for yeah. those that are actually counting days. Um, we had some of them share projects, uh, what they're working on. Um, we had a lot of really good networking, just pretty good chill party. It was um, awesome. Well, uh, for, for a first time for something like this, we had excellent turnout. Yeah, I think uh, we had like about 120 RSVPs and 90 showed up. That which is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And so I would like to also thank our guest speakers, Damien, who is the president of uh, the Greater Houston Manufacturers Association, Rick, who is the owner and, and engineer at Sparks Engineering, and Ray, who is a professor at Rice in the Electrical and Computer Engineering Department. Thank you so much for coming yeah, and thanks, giving guys. the panel. Um, Stephen was actually the moderator for the panel. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Stephen, for doing that. Yeah. And I would also like to thank Abel and Iris at Macrofab. They're our marketing team. And they basically made all that work. Yeah, they, they, they put a lot of effort into it. Yeah, so. it was a lot of fun. Um, and the next one is on May 31st. And I think this is just going to be a normal thing we do at the last Wednesday of every month. We're going to have an electronics meetup. So if you are in Houston or in the surrounding area, come on by. May 31st, it's uh, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Yep. And, uh, and if you're not in Houston, move here. <laughs> okay. Uh, on to Steven's design challenge that he uh, we talked about. Oh, wow. How long ago was that? Like uh, five, five episodes? Yeah. Um, so, so we've had a string of, of guests, yeah. uh, which, is, which for our longer time listeners uh, is, is kind of uncommon for us. Uh, I mean, we, we, we've had situations where we've had two guests in a row, but this time we had three. Uh, and and uh, so it's been a while since we've given an update on our, you know, our, the projects that we've been, our more longer term things that we do that just Parker and I. Um, so, you know, as a lot of listeners are probably getting annoyed with uh, I, my synth design, I've been working on that, which, by the way, works. Uh, it's been five weeks. Unfortunately, you're not doing an update about that. I'm not though. doing an update. <laughs> But, and but everyone just closed the browser tab yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, no, done. I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> Next week, we'll have an update on that. Yeah, yeah. So regardless, it works. But uh, a couple weeks ago, I gave a design challenge to kind of work on the synth with me. And the design challenge I gave was basically to help create a little circuit that um, had a, uh, a ring of LEDs that surrounded a potentiometer. Basically, the knobs on the front of my synth, I want them to be cool and light up as you turn yeah, the knob. Yeah, highly over-engineered UI oh, design. Oh, super excessive, absolute wank engineering. Uh, but it was, <laughs> we it should was have a, that as a segment. Wank engineering? The W-E. 
I didn't we have uh we had unnecessary engineering as one segment. Yeah, that's one a little bit more like you know, you know safe I think for work. We, we, I think we might have an RFO that talks a little bit about unnecessary yes, we do. engineering. Yeah, we do. So uh stay tuned for that. No, no, okay, so so the this uh Regardless, I gave this design challenge, and, and we had come up with the idea to just present it to the listeners like five minutes before a podcast. And surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, we actually got a, a good handful of uh, submittals. Um, submittals? Submittals, yeah. New word. <laughs> Submissions. Submissions. <laughs> I, I am one to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so we printed out a handful of uh, the the designs, a couple that we chose that, that seemed to be really interesting and fun. Um, and what's cool is we got a really wide variety. Yeah. We picked it all over the map from extreme digital to extreme analog to off-shelf parts. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know... Uh, one of the biggest things that I put as a, a design requirement was that it was cheap. And what's cool is everyone who kind of uh, wrote in wrote about how their design is cheap and, and why it's cheap. Uh, and so we have a, a variety of costs also. Yep. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and step through a couple of them and, uh, and see what we got. So the first one is from Thomas Ives. From Salem, uh, Oregon. Oregon. Yep. So, uh, so Thomas decided to go with more of an uh, off-the-shelf sort of solution. So uh, he was suggesting using a chip called an LM3914. This is a really old-school chip. Yeah, like old-school chip. Um, if you look up the data sheet for it, it's definitely been, like, Oh, it's been scanned a gazillion times. times. Yeah. you like, oh, my gosh, Intersil. Have you ever seen Intersil data sheets? I've never seen those. They're so, so scanned. Crusty. That, like, <laughs> yeah, but, like, the lines are, like, extremely black, but, like, dirty black. You know, they have, like, dots everywhere. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Basically, the contrast was cranked way up on oh, the machine. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So Try to picked, get as much information so, yeah. as possible. Well, that, and it picked up all, like, the skin flakes and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And they're there forever. The engineer sweat. Stains, oh, gross. Coffee, beard coffee, hair falling off. Coffee ring stain on like page eight. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, this LM thirty nine fourteen is a bar dot um, LED driver. So it's effectively a solution for exactly well, it what I'm talking about. Can't be that old then. Eighties probably. No, I think they had these going further back, but still, that's a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when was the first red LED? First red LED? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess the 60s. I'm looking up right now. Uh, yeah, look it up. Okay, keep talking. So, okay, yeah, I'll keep going on this. So, so effectively, this is... So th you can use this chip as like a VU meter. Uh, if you pump a signal into it, it'll actually move a, a bar driver because basically the chip just has a, an analog input. So you feed it an analog uh, signal, and it will light up bars based off of a 0 to 5-volt signal. 1907, H.J. Uh, Round invented them. This is just off the Wikipedia page. Um, but I would say Wait. the number that you would actually care about is 1962. Yes. Because that's the first production. 1907? Uh, probably the concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, because we weren't, doing, we weren't messing with silicon devices till the early 50s. Well, they had them before that, too. I think it wasn't the first transistor, 55? Well, transistor, yeah, but they were messing with with the properties the of silicon, properties of silicon, and and the junctions before that. Huh. Well, yeah, I would go with sixty two. That's the first like that's real where red. You, where LED. you could open up maybe the red, well, probably not the Radio Shack catalog, but um, a catalog back then, and be like, 
oh, I can get, you know, a 10 megahertz ovenized crystal and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then there's like at the very back, there's a whole one page advertisement for like LED. Yeah. And people are like, what is that? Yeah, I don't know. I bet you they still. It emits one frequency of light. What? What? No, I bet you it's one of those things where it's like uh, it still would like die after like a thousand hours of use or something. It, it probably wasn't much better than an incandescent bulb. If you know more information about that LED, like where we can get one. Yes, let's buy one. Let's buy one. Yes, and destroy it. No, <laughs> destroy history. Anyways, on on with the design. Okay, yeah. yeah. So so uh, in order to so so basically we uh, I had a certain number of LEDs. Uh, in the design requirement, like I think it was 30. 16 to 30, somewhere in that yeah. range. I, I, I made it a range. Uh, and, and so by using two of these chips, uh, he, he could accomplish it by just inputting a, uh, a signal directly to this signal pin. And as you turn the potentiometer, you'd have to use a dual potentiometer on this, uh, but it would, it would drive an analog signal and turn the LEDs on. So this is like the, 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 the one chip package or the yeah. two, really. Yeah, two package. And actually, one thing is is how would you make then basically be in series because they need to be in series basically one chip needs to go all the way up in terms of the bar graph the 10 right, LEDs right. and then the next one needs to start going up yeah so I think that they're um, I mean I guess you could probably play some games with like a voltage divider on the inputs oh you know what I think I think it was something about uh, I think the, yeah I think there was some kind of voltage divider thing uh, he doesn't actually have it in his uh, documentation that I have right here, but um, I, I'm looking at the data sheet on my phone right now, and I think you can uh, change some reference uh, signals in there such that zero well, to 2.5 volts would be one, and 2.5 to be the yeah, other. These are these chips basically have 10 op amps in comparator mode set up. Uh, right, right. That's what it is. Yeah, right. So I think uh, the the only thing that kind of gets a little bit strange about this one is that it just dumps a ton of current, uh, which is a little bit outside of my design uh, requirements. But, hey, still, it works. still pretty cool. And it's only, like, two parts plus LEDs. Right. You know, so uh, so, so Thomas also suggested a uh, another simple design that uses a, uh, a PIC 12X675 and Charlie Plexing. Oh, uh, Charlie Plexing. You know Charlie Plexing? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's it's a really funky matrixing style where it relies on tri-state. Yeah, you tri-state pins and and also turning pins from inputs to outputs so you can sync and source. Right, you have you have sync, source, and no. Yeah. So and no. Yeah. Z. Right. <laughs> Z. Yeah. High Z. Uh, so yeah, that's a, that's a that's a cool method too. Um, using only four pins, you can drive twelve LEDs, and if you use more, you can drive a significant, yep. much larger. Charlie plexing is a little funky. Uh, because it relies a lot on the transistors, and you have to kind of play some games with that, so it's not as elegant. Um, but I, I like the I like the one chip solution that he gave. Yep. Cool. So the next one is Brett Smith. So uh, Brett gave us. He's from uh, Las Vegas. Brett gave us probably one of the most interesting designs. Yeah, I like this one a lot. So uh, when I first gave the challenge, I was like. Everyone's just going to put a microcontroller and have it, you know, spit out pins or do whatever. Find some some kind of solution at Mauser and give it to us. Brett went way off the reservation yeah. with this one, but in a super cool way. Uh, so let me see here. I, 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 he's got a paragraph here where he's kind of describing the uh, the function. Yeah, so it's better just to read that. 
paragraph. Yeah, out. okay. I'm I'm gonna read this. So uh, actually, you know, in uh, I, I kind of like it when data sheets have a section that's a theory of operation. He basically wrote a theory of operation. Yep. Uh, so here's what he said. Basically, an oscillator drives a counter that controls which output is active on a demuxer that drives a buffer for the LEDs. Uh, the input value of the demuxer is controlled by a monostable vibrator, a, a five, 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 probably, yeah, uh, with a pulse width that is controlled by the potentiometer. If the pot is turned up higher, then the pulse is longer, and more of the LEDs are lit as a result. This leads to the happy coincidence that the uh, leading LED will dim relative to the pot's position within its respective one sixteenth of the pot's three hundred degree throw. So, wow. He he yeah. did he did some some. It, this is almost like a weird intro to uh, digital electronics homework problem. Oh yeah, in, in a way where you have to do like I've got an oscillator, I've got a counter, I've got a demux, and you have to you know th have these like threshold trip points and things. Uh, but then he also throws in this buffer chip that uh, that drives all the LEDs. So it kind of counts up based off of your pulse width. It counts to whatever LED it needs to, and then spits that out effectively. Uh, and although that sounds a little bit long-winded and like a lot of stuff, he put the price for every single chip that goes in there, and uh, the total for all of the chips is a dollar seventy-four. Yeah, which is crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, the the only thing that might get a little bit crazy on that is the fact that there's one, two, three, four, five, six ICs that go into that, and. But they're the, inexpensive. They're inexpensive, but the board physical size, I put a constraint of like 1.2 by 1.2. I think you could still do it. He, he was 30 mils over. Oh, 30 mils? Yeah, he's 1.23. Oh, inches. well. He says you can, fix, you can squeeze it, though. Let's, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let everyone know a secret. When I came up with the dimension sizes, I just shot them out of my ass. I, just, <laughs> I literally was just like, uh, this big by this big, just to see. So, yeah, going over by 30 mils, no He's problem. He's got a really nice, um, we'll post the picture on the podcast description. But yeah, he really drew nice this schematic in, in, in Altium. Yeah, and the layout is beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, we have a full-page print of his of his layout, and, he, and of course, he chooses, like, a nice blue and an, an orange. orange, so it pops real nice with, along with the red. So, uh, in fact, a lot of these guys have... Um, have, gave us uh, uh, images. If, in fact, uh, Thomas Ives, awesome dude, he drew it up in paint. Way to go, Thomas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, way thumbs up exactly on that. exactly what I would have yeah. done. So, uh, so that, was a, that was a really cool design. Um, and, and when I first started digging through it, I was like, what the hell is this guy doing? And then you look <laughs> at it, it's like, oh, my gosh. Uh, he went definitely on the it's, – it's really complicated in terms of the engineering – but when you boil down the costs, it's very inexpensive. Yeah, well, and requires zero code. Yeah, zero code. Uh, so this is the this is the analog slash digital version that requires no smarts whatsoever. So you turn it on and it just works. Yep. So next one is David S Sandal. David, uh, yeah, David Sandal. Yeah, it's Sandal without an e in it. So. Um, D uh, David actually decided to use a CPLD yep. in his design. Uh, so his, uh, you might consider Dave's to be more of a, uh, I guess, a brute force traditional design uh, where you have an, uh, an A to D mm -hmm. that talks over I squared C and dumps into a CPLD. And then that just drives 
LEDs straight from its pins. Yeah. He lists an app note that that Xilinx, it's a uh, Cool Runner 2 CPLD. So I actually looked up the app note that he uh, put in. Um, is X app 805. I guess if you probably Google that, you'll it'll pop up. We'll mm-hmm. put it down in the, the podcast description. Um, but the Cool Runner, I kind of wish that was like an 80s movie. As opposed to Cool Runnings? Yeah. <laughs> the cool 90s movie? The <laughs> Cool Runner. Yeah. yeah. It's it's the secret <laughs> to Blade Runner. Well, or uh, Running Man. Oh, running! No, it's 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 Blade Runner and Running Man together. Together, yeah. where it's um, it would be the uh, oh man, what are they called? Harrison Ford and Arnold Schwarzenegger are sidekicks. Sidekicks chasing down in like a cyberpunk space movie. Chasing down uh, replicants. No, it's cyber spa- it's, it's cyberpunk New York in like twenty twenty XX is the year. So escape from Cool Runnings too. <laughs> <laughs> The origin I'd watch story. It. I'd watch it. Yeah, I'd, if it was on Netflix, I'd watch yeah, it. Yeah, no, that sounds great. So yeah, no, um, this is this. You know, if, if you take a look at the, we'll post all these designs, by the way. Uh, but but if you take a look at this design, it's it's really traditional. You got voltage regulators, CPLD, an A to D input. Not a lot of magic going on. Um, well, the magic's in the code. Yeah, yeah, the magic would be in the code in this case. And in fact, what's what what you could do with this is you have a lot more control over the brightness because you could. You could uh, uh, bit bang. You could PWM LEDs. Um, the only thing is, you it might do, be you can do a really cool like sequence. Yeah. So like when you're turning up the knob, it can do like a an LED trace, kind of like a Knight Rider effect, up to the value. Well, yeah. That'd look cool. Or you could do. Oh man, that'd be cool. Uh, you can also do. Excuse me. Um, uh, like when you first turn on the device, like they all sweep across and sweep back. Oh, like, like it's. "Quote unquote calibrating yeah. the knobs." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, no, there's a lot of cool things you could do if you put smarts into it. Uh, in in this one, uh, the CPLD only has the capability to drive eight milliamp per pin. Uh, so that's, that's probably that's, bright enough. It's probably bright enough, um, but it doesn't give an enormous amount of control. Uh, regardless, all said and done, these things don't need to blind you. So eight's probably plenty enough and then the last one we have on a list is from Sh- sean swift we've uh, we've worked with sean swift quite a bit yeah. at, at the fab so it, it was it was really cool to see uh sean um uh right in here so uh sean probably went with the most traditional version of a design here uh and probably for, the absolute cheapest as well exactly yeah so he suggested an at tiny 88 which is one dollar uh, in running. Is that singles, right? Uh, I, I can't remember if that was in singles. Anyway, I'm not sure, but it's cheap. I didn't know a microcontroller was that inexpensive and still had 28 I.O. pins. Yeah, so yeah, this thing has 28 I.O. pins. It has an 8 megahertz internal oscillator, so you don't have to have any external stuff. You can almost just put 5 volts connected to ground and just connect everything else up to LEDs. And you could even tie all the LEDs such that they only have one dropping resistor and then sweep through the code. Uh, so it's, it's really, um, it's really a one-chip solution yep. uh, for $1. So I think Sean probably wins the cheapest yeah. uh, uh, solution out of everyone. And he, he goes through and, you know, if we Charlieplex or multiplexed the LEDs, he says you can drive 144. That's right. LEDs with so you can probably do your entire panel of knobs 
with this one chip. I have now the routing on that would be insane because you have to cover, be. you know, what was it nineteen inches wide by five inches tall, whatever. It would be was. yeah, it would be insane. Uh, now, I have twenty one knobs, uh, and I think eighteen of them are going to have the LEDs around them. So eighteen times potentially thirty. So, oh, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a ton of LEDs. <laughs> yeah, this this project is ridiculous. Uh, but but regardless, um, yeah, AT Tiny eighty eight for a buck. Connect uh, LEDs right up to pins. Uh, I guess the, the one of the only things I can think of that is kind of a little bit of a downfall, but not really much, is that you have uh, you have to rely on driving current through the microcontroller through the microcontroller. But that's not that's, yeah, that's not fine. a big deal. I've done that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really not a big deal, but uh, that's the only thing I can think of on this one that's kind of like yeah, um, questionable. Well, I actually want to see if a at, at the internal oscillator of eight megahertz, if it can do that big matrix fast enough, so you don't get, you know, blinky LEDs. So, so I hooked up an LED uh, to our function generator, and I and I turned it on. Um, uh, I, I just pulsed it, uh, and and uh, adjusted the frequency until I was thought it was all right. Mm -hmm. Basically, you can't tell. And 55 hertz for my eyes was about the point at which I was like, this is acceptable. And 100 hertz was like, I can't tell the difference. Yeah. Uh, anything less than 55, you kind of, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a fluorescent bulb. Oh, and when it's cold We're, when you first turn it on? Yeah, and you're like, I can tell that that's blinking, you yeah. know. Uh, but, so 55 was the edge. Now, I did some calculations with uh, some other chips. Uh, I think Maybe I think it was on 16 megahertz, and I could I could drive most of the LEDs for at like a thousand hertz. So, yeah, we actually when we were developing the Mac Watch, mm. the Pick this was before, when it was still on the Pick, mm -hmm. and we were running the Pick at 32 point whatever uh, 32 kilohertz. You know what's the? It's 32 oh, point 32 point whatever time clock. So yeah, you divide the, it down. Yeah, so we were running off that. And the idea was on the original one was, or idea was, to make it as cheap as possible, you had all the LEDs that do the time mm -hmm. run through one resistor because you would just light one at a time through a cycle. Well, if you try to do that, it blinked like mad. It was not fast enough to do that. Nice. So I don't, and I tried to make, I, I was like, basically my code was just straight C. And I was looking at the assembly, and I'm like, there's no way I can make this loop faster. <laughs> um, so, there is a physical limit to how fast it'll go. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of wish I need to revisit that project and see how fast that loop was actually running time-wise mm -hmm. and see if it was under your 50, 55 hertz limits. Yeah. It probably was. Yeah. It, it blinked pretty bad. Yeah, I bet you it was. So, yeah, that... Um, that's that's the uh, kind of the designs that we have there. What I think is really cool about this, so we, we presented four different designs. Uh, so the first one was a two-chip solution that was a little bit more of, I guess you could say, a vintage-style chip. Yeah, and off-shelf. Off yeah, off-the-shelf. It would just work. The the uh, Let me see here. The the second one we talked about, uh, was that Brett? Yep. Brett. Yeah, we talked about Brett the second time, was, was a oddly elegant, Solution using uh, using elegant is chips. a very good way to put it. it. It was it was really cool, very interesting. Uh, the third one was was more of a uh, 
traditional, but it used a CPLD, which is different, yeah. which you don't see every day. And then the last one was about as traditional as you get, just slam a microcontroller and hit pins. Yep. Uh, which, hey, cool. It was, when I first uh, presented this, I thought I was going to get a lot of the same stuff. And we got everything very different, yep. which is super cool. So, Brett, if, uh, if you want to finish your design out, we'll build it for free. We, okay, so we were kind of <laughs> discussing this, and we both really like your design. Yeah. and think it's super cool. I think because it's, it's just so out there. And, yeah, I, I, want, I want to see this built. So, yeah, it looks like we have, I mean, you, you got a full schematic here, and uh, we have a whole board. Uh, so if you want to get with us, uh, podcast at macrofab.com. And uh, uh, if you want to build it, we will build it for you and test it out. We'll, we'll, we'll pimp it. All right, so... That was the design contest. Yep. Now, what was the one that you actually designed? So I've designed it. I haven't actually built it yet. I, ah. I, I do have parts. Uh, I have a bag full of parts. But I went with an AT Tiny 85, okay. and I bit banged some shift registers and ah, had all okay. of those dumped to LEDs. Gotcha. So uh, it's it's a little bit more expensive. So it's kind of in between Dave Sean and Sean Swift. I was going to say Sean Swift and, and Thomas. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a little bit in between there. And, uh, one of the reasons why I kind of went that direction, um, <laughs> laziness. Uh, no, no, You're like, I already have these parts designed. Exactly. <laughs> I have these parts designed, and I already have code for, for bit banging shift registers all done up, so it makes design turn. You know what? I actually do the so same fast. thing. Yep. yep I'm mean, so. like, I need a power regulator. What do I already have designed? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's only, it's like, Parker, it's only four, four pads to design a new one. Yeah. But, but I'm like, Because oh, I'll, I'll sit yeah. there and design, like, a whole brand new microcontroller. It's got 144 pins. Oh, all that stuff. all the time. It takes all the time. And, all the time and I'm like, and, power and, regulator. And, okay. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> great, great side topic right here when you're designing a microcontroller footprint or pattern or whatever your eda tool calls it when it comes down to naming pins do you write out the full name from the data sheet so it's like io7 slash xtall3 slash um, blah 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 on the, an eagle they separate out footprint and symbol okay on the footprint it's one two three four five six seven eight nine ten blah blah blah, blah. sure on the schematic on uh, the symbol i do i write out exactly what the data sheet says i do too uh, I don't care if it's like 300 characters long. I will write that dude, sucker out. I need to have you do like the next FPGA I have to do. Oh, God, dude. <laughs> <laughs> a thousand pin guy. Uh, the biggest FPGA I've done was like a 288 pin BGA. But it's not even that because that's easy. That's like once you get one row done, it's like copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. Oh, yeah. But it's when you do the symbol and having, and basically breaking everything out into different I.O. banks power all that stuff and then doing all the functionalities for the pins yeah yeah it's it gets pretty brutal <laughs> <laughs> so so i actually the, the good manufacturers give you a text file that you could parse oh, in with a script yeah you just dump and, and, do it. and yeah. dump out the pin num pins but some don't most don't most don't but the altera and i think xilinx both do yeah because they're kind of they're nice like that I'll, I wish they could make better IDEs, but that's another topic. <laughs> I, I actually, so I adopted that method of, of writing the pins out with all of their functions from a previous job 
And we had some really high pin count processors that we were dealing with. And they, it was so big, it ended up being so big on the schematic that the processor would take up multiple pages. Oh, man. But no, what, what, I, what I really liked about it is it actually made it look like the processor was physically large. No. <laughs> so it, it was like all of our signals are going into this giant monolith. Of and, a then you, and then you switch over to the layout, and it's like... A 20 millimeter by 20 millimeter part. <laughs> exactly. Actually, no, that's still be a pretty big part. Yeah, no, that's that's almost that's about, an inch by an inch. Yeah, that's about the size of a PIC 32 TQFP yeah, yeah. 144-ish. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, thanks everyone for the design challenge. Um, those that was really fun, uh, and I think it went well. So we might do more of these in the future. Yeah, I think we need to do another. I think we need to do an official design challenge. Okay, so up. this was the test. Well, I mean, we still picked a winner, and but it was kind of impromptu. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll actually have a legit one, like basically our marketing. You saying team. my challenge is not legit? No, we'll have our marketing team like actually <laughs> pimp it out. And yeah, stuff. yeah. No, I think it's a good idea. Cool. Okay. RFO. RFO. Rapid fire opinion. So we have three topics. Some of these are a little old, but you know it's been a while since we've actually had a non guest episode. Non guest episode. So. Pardon if some of these are a little dusty. IUT IoT by Hackaday. Here's why Juicero's press is so expensive by Bolt IO. And then Amazon's new Echo Look has built-in camera for selfies. So as the normal thing with RFOs is we really hate IoT. And some t- reason we keep talking about it. <laughs> It just won't die. Um, So the IUT IoT by Hackaday is basically the Internet of Useful Things, which would actually be I-O-U-T, but whatever, Hackaday. Um, Basically, Hackaday is because they run design contests and project contests all the time, is they're looking for useful IoT devices. Yeah, yeah. I guess UIoT is probably better. Useful uh, internet uh, things. Oh, okay. Sorry. Instead of internet of You got to remember things. I'm dumb. I wasn't following you there. <laughs> so no, no, I, I saw this earlier this week, I think. Uh, it was out this week. Oh, uh, And, and I, I saw it and immediately was like, oh, Parker, read this now. Because <laughs> we kind of bitch about IoT stuff all the time. Um, so but I brought this one up because actually at Macrofab, that's one thing I've been working on is useful internet of things. Things. For- things at our shop so <laughs> yeah. that we would like to know more data about mm-hmm. like the first big one is the compressor and actually it was a really good example of what happened on monday oh yeah um is i want to basically put an accelerometer on the compressor that because when the compressor turns on it vibrates like crazy it would be very easy to binary tell if it's running or not i think that'll be the the code word binary tell binary tell Write us. Yeah, at podcast.macro.com. Anyways, back to this thing. Um, yeah, so accelerometer on it, and mm-hmm. then it just connects up the Wi-Fi, and then basically you can know how long the compressor runs for. Because that way you can actually get an hour meter, because right, it doesn't have an hour counter. So right. we have to change the compressor oil based off time. So which, preventative maintenance can be based off, off of time. Well, no. Well, right now it's based off time in terms of like every three months, we need to change well, runtime. But runtime is a better way to do it because sometimes it runs more, sometimes it runs less, and then 
the great thing about that is then you can know when something abnormal happens, like a leak in the shop or like what happened on Monday and a copper pipe that goes to the intercooler breaks and the compressor runs for like two days straight. And I had to go run around all of Houston to try to find a spare part. (laughs) (laughs) And it would have been way nicer to know that on Saturday. So I could have spent Sunday instead uh, running around finding a part. (laughs) Right, right, right. And we probably prematurely aged the compressor by just letting it run nonstop. Nonstop. Well, I shouldn't say we didn't let it. It had a premature failure. Yep. And yeah, basically the, uh, the it has a three quarter inch copper tube uh, hard line that comes out of the top of the compressor head. It's a two stage yeah. uh, reciprocating compressor, and that goes into a um, it's not an intercooler. I guess it is an intercooler. Um, it goes into an intercooler, so it cools the air down before it goes into the main tank. Mm-hmm. And basically, it had a uh, why why we pretty much sure what happened is the copper probably work hardened after vibrating for so long and then it just broke and i think what happened is during the move it probably that pipe got because it's like right on the edge of the compressor yeah and it probably got knocked or whatever and then someone just bent it back and so it because the other one looks fine right and the other end of that pipe was completely fine it wasn't work hardened at all and and the the exact area where the copper pipe broke is right at the the stress point of for it for it yep. vibrating yeah it wasn't and, and the crazy thing about this pipe was is it's three quarter inch copper which but it's is, the it's the l type that's the l type but it's actually pretty common you can buy this at home depot or lowe's is at the ends it had a double 45 degree flare the only tool we could find was a 350 dollar tool at mcmaster that has a three quarter inch double 45 flare on the end right so us doing it was not in the or us fixing it yeah uh was was not gonna happen yeah and basically it took me i had to call the company who made the compressor twice the first time i did it in the morning to see when i get a spare part and then they had no idea what i was talking about and then in the afternoon i called them again and i got someone else on the line and then i got directed right to like a production manager basically and he's like oh yeah uh, the part number you have is an old one because we changed everything over a couple months back. So here's the new part number. And we have a distributor there in Houston that's got one, like actually has that that part. And it was like 4.30 and the place closed at 5. And it was on the <laughs> other side of Houston in rush hour traffic. And I got there at 5.02. And they, they, they were nice enough to keep the shop open for me to grab it. So I reinstalled it Monday after work and everything was good. Bob's your uncle. <laughs> so so yeah the in that case an internet of useful things would have been really been nice awesome i come full circle on that one yeah yeah okay topic two here's why Juicero's ju- is it is it juice row or juicero ju- juicero juicero's juicero or juicero juicero it, it depends on if you break juice out of that <laughs> or not, well, or try to say that's one word. So, uh, so you put this on the list. I don't know what this is. To, uh, inform me. Okay, so this was a couple weeks back. Um, this, oh, no, this I is know a, this. This, Never is mind. That, that, this is that, like, juice. It's got, like, a pre-juiced bag, and it just squeezes it out. Yeah, no, overly expensive mush. Yeah, basically. Um, and So Bolt.io did a really good teardown. Yep. Actually, a really good um, teardown. So it's a teardown of a basically an expensive and controversial juicing 
It's not a juicing machine. It's a press. It's a delivery mechanism. Yeah, so the best thing is there's videos of people quote-unquote hacking the bags by just squeezing them. And someone commented on one of those videos. I can't remember the guy's name. I'm sorry, guys, but... The best comment was, I've been hacking Capri Sun since I was five. <laughs> I'm a hacker. Because the people were saying, oh, I hacked the bag by squeezing it. That's not a hack. Oh, my gosh. We, we had a conversation about this just the other day. That, that grinds my gears so hard when people are like, I, you know, 10 useful life hacks. You know, these crappy videos on, on YouTube that show up where it's like, you're not hacking something. You're just using it. Using it in a different way. Oh, it was the ice cube It was thing. an ice cube maker. Yeah, they, they were... Okay, this ice cream, an uh, ice cream. I, it was an ice cube tray that ice you put cream. in your freezer. They put like fruit in in in, in, the, there, ice. W- in the ice, and, so and they were you, like, "We hacked it." No, you didn't. You put fruit in you there. You used it exactly the same way, except you made the ice dirty. Right. <laughs> if you melted the plastic down and created something else, or with cut it, it or, or cut, yeah, yeah, right, or or like fundamentally changed its use. You've now hacked it. You didn't hack it by just putting other crap in it. Yeah, you just, oh, <laughs> one was, okay, there was one that was kind of a hack. It, they basically used it as a template to make ravioli. It's a tool at that point. Yeah, but then they didn't freeze anything with it. Okay. Uh, its purpose is to put liquid in and freeze. Well, okay, 90% of their, quote, hacks were still yes, put something exactly. in and the freeze The ravioli it. one was actually pretty good, though. Yeah. No, I would say that was a hack for an ice cream tray. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But, um, but okay, yeah, no, so, so this this juicer, but, quote. Yeah, yeah. It quote. has, it ha- you, you purchase bags of mushed fruit, yep. and you, you put it into this device and click go, and basically it squeezes the bag. Yeah, so... Yeah, and it just squeezes it out and doesn't do anything. Well, I think, because basically the, the press mechanism in this machine is crazy overbuilt. Oh, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of aluminum parts. All the gears are actually machine gears. They're not censured gears. Yeah. Uh, is it censured? Centered. Centered gears, which is basically uh, they take powder and powder resin. and resin and lasers and make the gears, which sounds more expensive, <laughs> but it's actually more much more cheaper oh, yeah. than you, machining you, you it just, out. You cook gears. Cook gears. <laughs> <laughs> we should have made is that. that is, is that hacking gears? Yeah. No, we should have made that the cooked co- gears. Code, code name uh, is cook, cooking gears. Cooking <laughs> with gears with macrofab. Um, so, but, yeah. But, so, what I was thinking is the reason why that was so overbuilt was I bet you earlier in the development cycle, they were actually planning to squeeze, like, fruit chunks in those bags. Oh. So you would, it would actually squeeze, like, they would have, like, chopped peach or whatever in there. Instead of pureed. Instead of pureed. And then it would squeeze it, and that probably just didn't work out. And instead of redesigning it, they just said, ship it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you, do you remember what the original price tag was? It's like seven hundred dollars. Yeah, six ninety nine uh, for a a squeezer. And so after this got all kind of released and people flipped out, it's now dropped. It's like three hundred and fifty dollars. Huh. So. But and the other comment I like is uh, what people have been saying is it's beautifully engineered. No, it's beautifully made, poorly engineered. <laughs> because an engineer would have like made like roller like cheap rollers and it just like rolled out like a polaroid like toothpaste like toothpaste or i was thinking polaroid but i actually 
think only probably half our listeners will know how a Polaroid works. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, I think I think you're kind of right on that. Yeah. Uh, the engineering behind it. Although it still could be beautifully engineered if the engineer was forced to design to those specifications. Well, and it's also if they were planning on the price point of seven hundred dollars. It's like it's like a Ferrari or a um, or a uh, Mercedes, a higher end Mercedes, because you can buy inexpensive Mercedes brand new now. Yeah. But like high end ones, where this like there's some subsystems that are just overly complicated, like. Um, a lot of, I think it's like mid, like 60s era Mercedes have like these insane vacuum and hydraulic control systems for everything. Like door locks are pneumatically actuated for some reason. I can't remember if that's Mercedes or not, but I, there's some it's car. complexity for complexity's yeah, sake. For sake. Yeah. And yeah. if that was their goal. Luxury cars tend to do that. If, the, if that was their goal, they, they achieved it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but I mean, okay. If they originally expected a seven hundred dollar price tag, they probably just sat down and just went wild with the design because they're like, "We can do anything for seven hundred dollars." You know, do you want to use the the best plastic? Sure, use that. Why not? Yeah. You know, do you want to mill our own gears? Sure. Why the design hell our own power supply? Design our have our own motor. Like yeah. everything in there is custom. There's no yeah. off shelf stuff. For a bag squeezer. For a bag squeezer, yep. <laughs> All right. Um, topic three. Amazon's new Echo Look has built-in camera for style selfies. Mm-hmm. So the idea behind this is the Amazon Echo is a device that controls your home or allows you to order stuff or turn on music, blah, blah, blah. But now it's got a camera and an app on your phone so you can see how you look through the Amazon Echo. And mm. I'm like, do these people not have mirrors? <laughs> Vanity.io. <laughs> yeah, vanity.io. <laughs> um, but it will also make suggestions. I think, I think what they're trying to do is it will make suggestions on what you should wear and buy oh, through the no. Amazon store. Yeah. Oh, you're kidding yeah. me. Yeah. I don't know if that's implemented yet, but that's I'm thinking that's where they're going because then if you have a picture of you standing there with clothes on, it can pr- what what if if it can, if it came with I, it doesn't do this, by the way. If it came with like clothes that were like I had a pattern on them, and so it would it could figure out the pattern and then basically photoshop different outfits on you like augmented reality. So yeah. you can see how you would look. Just overlay. Yeah, other... that would, but because you're not going to stand perfectly straight, and you might want to see how a side profile is, it could figure that out by the pattern <laughs> that you wear. My side pro- profile looks terrible. <laughs> well, yeah, mine, my profile of me sideways is bigger than, than front on. <laughs> Alfred, um, Alfred Hitchcock kind of side profile. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, like kind of like how a QR code will give a marker for, like, augmented reality. Yeah. The same way if you can wear, like, a shirt that's got a, marking on it and so he could figure out an overlay like a 3d model of the clothes that'd be really cool yeah but that would be that there would be some serious uh uh software behind that oh yeah some hardcore software yeah and then it's also like if um you know parents it could be because i think the echoes also has like parental control you could control what your kids wear 
so they can't go to work. So you could, uh, you could, to, you could dress them by just like saying you're wearing this, this, and this today. Yep. If you could upload whatever their clothes are into it. Yep. Oh, that's kind of creepy. Well, a little bit. But it's like you're not going to wear those ratty jeans. You have to wear, <laughs> you know, like Sunday's best or whatever. If 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 I had one of these things, uh, and if it could talk to me, it would be like you have worn t-shirt, jeans, and boots for 65 days straight. <laughs> Do you want to wear something else? No. I'm like, no, thank you. No, we live in we live in Houston. That's every day. Yeah, it doesn't get cold enough, yeah, right? And it gets too hot to wear long sleeve shirts. Right. So you just wear short just, sleeve jeans. And that's just the Houston look. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just mine would be like, I give up. <laughs> <laughs> Life is not worth living. Oh man. <laughs> And so I think that will wrap up this episode of the MacFeb Engineering Podcast. Yep. It was episode number 66. Uh, we were your hosts, Parker Doan. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. <laughs>